Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. This is Mandy Jenkins. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and sharing our stories makes us brave. The goal of the Kindred and Brave Project is to support you in being a learner instead of a knower by offering actionable practices for you to try in your own lives. My podcast aims to cultivate community by focusing on heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited for episode three. I thought since we're new and we're building routines together, we can start each episode with this idea of a glimmer, which I mentioned last episode is the opposite of a trigger. It's something that brings content and joy. And the story I'd like to share with you is from Thanksgiving. I have an elderly neighbor. His name is Ray, and he's a sweet New Jersey guy. He lives just around the corner from us, and he's actually given my son Micah his first job. So once a week, Micah goes over to the house and he'll pull weeds or water or help clean up after the dogs, and and Ray pays him $10 for that. It's given Micah some great responsibility, and I think Ray enjoys the company. He lost his wife years ago to cancer, and he also lost one of his sons. His other son lives far away. So I thought, my gosh, I don't like thinking about him just sitting alone on Thanksgiving. I know he goes to church and he has his people, but I thought I'll give him a call and I'll, I'll invite him. He sounded super tickled and he even popped by the day before with a box of Fannie Mae chocolates, which here's a little universal nod. My mom loved Fannie Mae Pixies, which he would have never known, and a pumpkin pie baked from his local church. So the idea here is that if community is important to us as a family value, we can't just talk about it. We have to model it for our kids. Brene Brown talks about this as practicing it over professing our values. So it was really sweet. I think he had a nice time. He said the food was good. And my Midwest family welcomed him with open arms and chatted him up. And the next day, Micah said, I'm so thankful that we asked Ray to come. I think he had a nice time, and I think he really liked our family. It's sad to think of somebody being alone on the holidays. And I'm sharing this because it felt like a really big mom win. And now I want to share with you the days leading up to our celebration where I'll share what I feel like were a lot of mom's struggles. I think many mothers out there might relate to this, so if you're hosting holidays or just even having holidays, it gets hectic. So we host aunts, uncles, and cousins. When we moved back here from Seattle, this was kind of my dream, and it got handed down to me, Thanksgiving as a holiday. My aunts have obviously done it for many, many years, and I was elated, uh, excited to do so. So gathering is important to me because my best childhood memories were at these big family holidays and parties. Even though I'm an only child, I have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles, and we were really great about getting together. So now, with some aunts and uncles gone, and my mom gone, and Andy's mom gone, and Andy's brother recently gone, all of our grandparents gone, it feels extra important 
for me to get that time together with our family and our kids. So this was my third year hosting, and I think I've gotten a little bit stronger and better each year. We have what is my dream kitchen when we built our house. It's nice and big. It has a giant island, and it looks like what I imagined, just everybody gathered around eating and talking and and having a good time. Watching my own parents on Thanksgiving Day was comical. They were running around like turkeys every year. So it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it didn't make hosting look fun. My mom was usually walking downstairs as people were arriving, doing the finishing touches on her hair and makeup. So I love to cook and I love to experiment. So I meticulously planned out the menu this year, including a green bean recipe. Not like the cheese beans of the 80s and 90s that my mom was known for. They called her the green bean queen. Um, I actually never even tasted those because they have fried onions on top and I hate onions. But still felt like a great way to honor her. So I really like organization. I made a great list this year and I even color coded it. Yellow for dairy products, green for veggies, red for meat, etc. You get the point. My husband Andy asked what he could do, and I said I didn't want to get the fresh stuff until closer to Friday, which is when we celebrated. So he did get some of the dry ingredients earlier in the week. I worked all week, so on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, I made the trek out to the stores for the final ingredients. I also made a list of what needed to be cleaned in the house, washed, ready for preparation, how many tables should be brought up, tablecloths, chairs. After hustling through three stores looking for whole allspice berries, I gave up and decided our brine would probably be good enough with just the dry stuff. I want to share with you, as I've mentioned in other episodes, that I've met one angel during this little um, trek that I had. I was intensely focused in the spice aisle, and I think she noticed as I was moving up and down and side to side, kind of like a ninja, reading each and every label. The sweet woman stopped and asked if she could help me find what I needed. We had a good laugh when I admitted it had been 10 minutes, and I was wondering at this point if all spice berries were actually berries or if they were a spice. She took out her phone, she Googled it, she said she found them on Amazon, they were in fact a spice, they wouldn't be here in time for Thanksgiving, and she wished me luck. We wished each other luck on the rest of our lists and a happy Thanksgiving, and it felt like one of those great humanity moments where instead of rushing past or getting annoyed with me because I was taking up space, she stopped to help. So I came home and I made my prep list. What could I make early? What needed to be made the day of? So cranberry sauce, Alfredo sauce, blanch the beans. I wrote it all out. I've mentioned in previous episodes that Micah, my son, who's nine, has ADHD. Now, most would say, most being his neuropsychologist, his doctor, his teachers, that this looks like a struggle with impulse control. I describe him at home as it manifesting in what looks like a 62-pound human pinball bounding through the house. We've tried all of the things. 
He is on medication. We use visual tour charts to show him what he needs to have done. We write out the steps of his routines. We set timers for him to do things. Sometimes it works. A lot of times it doesn't. And all the time, it feels like a lot. A lot of days we handle it well, and a lot of days one or both of us is in tears. So on this Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, when I had been shopping all day and already started prepping ingredients, he bounded through the door after school telling me whose house he was going to play at and ignoring the usual tasks that he has to do. This is basic shit. You know, put your shoes away, charge your Chromebook, hang up your backpack, take the dogs out. He was so excited about being on break that he was just out of office. And if you have a kid with ADHD, you know what this looks like. It's kind of like they're looking at you, but they can't see you and they can't hear you. I often say, why aren't you listening to me? Though deep down in my gut, I know that he's trying as hard as he can but it's like I wasn't even there. Like the metaphor of a pot that boils over, (laughs) it's truly exactly what happened. I could feel myself starting to simmer. My body was getting warm. I was clenching my fists, but I was trying to stay calm. Like I do many times, especially in the mornings or after school. Those tend to be our toughest times, times of transition. The shit really hit the fan when the green bean water actually boiled over and started spilling. I lost my shit. I screamed. He screamed back. I said things I knew, I know, I shouldn't. The worst one feeling to me, what is wrong with you? Why can't you ever just listen? Oof. Friends, have you ever heard of Dr. Becky? She's got a podcast. She's got a book. She's got a TED Talk. She's like the mom friend we all want. She's a clinical psychologist mom, and she really knows her shit. So here is the first part of one of the lessons. I want to share with you what I've learned from her. Now remember, as you can see, a theme here is when I share what I learn, It doesn't mean I'm an expert at it, and that's why I leave us with a practice, because we're all learning and we're all practicing. So first, the mantra that I try to remember and that she tells us often is that we're not bad kids. We're good kids having a hard time. We're not bad moms or bad parents. We're bad moms or bad parents having a hard time. So in these moments, I try to remember Micah is a good kid having a hard time, and I'm a good mom also having a hard time. She talks about this idea of multiplicity, which I love. The ability to accept multiple realities at once. The idea that two things can be true. This personally helps me because I often want to think, I'm right and Micah is wrong because I'm the mom and he's not listening to the things he's supposed to be doing. But two things can be true. I can be upset with Micah and I can care about his feelings when they get hurt 
or he gets upset back. We can both be upset with each other. Both of those things can be true. Lastly, in her new TED Talk, she says the single most important parenting strategy is repair. Now, another reason why I love Dr. Becky, her book, her podcast, all of the things that she talks about, sure, a lot of her examples are geared towards parents and children, but they're really just about relationships. So repair is also something that we can have in any relationship that's important to us. She says repair is the act of going back to a moment of disconnection, taking responsibility for your behavior and acknowledging the impact it had on another. So in the example I shared with you, right, going back to the moment of disconnection, it's when I boiled over, I lost it, I didn't pause, I started yelling. So we try to practice this in our house. And here's how Dr. Becky says it should go. First, we practice repair with ourselves. So this is really important for me because parenting is a huge shame trigger for me. I'll talk more about what shame triggers are in other episodes, but basically I'm hyper aware of how I parent, always hard on myself about being a mom, who I am as a mom, how I mom. So it's important that just like Micah's behavior doesn't define him, I remind myself that my behavior doesn't define me. The way that I reacted in that moment doesn't define me as a mom or how much I love my son. Then you repair with the child. So this is what it looked like the other day. His 62-pound pinball self bounded up the stairs making sure to touch the walls all the way up so that I would have to clean them before our guests arrived on Friday. And I said, hey, Micah, buddy, I'm so sorry that I blew up and I yelled at you. I think that probably must have felt really bad after you came home so excited about being on Thanksgiving break. And you know what? Next time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to step away from what I'm doing, the task I have, so I can help you stay on task and we can get along better and then we can both continue on. I told them I'm here for you and I'm so sorry that we just had a tough time. There's a story in this story here that I think is important to address. You see, I'm not saying I don't take full responsibility for my actions here. But the other conversation that my husband and I have been having in our house comes from this new term that has been everywhere. Have you ever heard of what's called the mental load? In a Mind, Body, and Green article, the mental load is explained like this. It's a term for the invisible labor involved in managing a household and a family, which typically falls on you guessed it, the women's shoulders. So even in the most progressive households where couples split the chores pretty evenly, there's still often one person who ends up doing most of the, quote, thinking work, also known as the mental load. So in our scenario, because I technically, air quote, work from home, this just means I don't commute anywhere, 
I do the laundry, the listing, the shopping, the cleaning, the running the pills to school, all while running my business and teaching four classes. This lack of balance leads to burnout and a lot of resentment in my marriage. In a study published by the American Sociological Review, it describes it as the responsibility of anticipating needs, identifying options for filling them, making decisions, and monitoring progress. So in this holiday season, as mothers are juggling teacher gifts, Christmas shopping, hosting, lists, etc., I want to acknowledge it's fucking exhausting. We will do another whole episode unpacking how I've worked with my clients on this, the idea of the mental load, what to do about it, and I'll talk to you about what my husband and I are trying, screwing up, and trying again to find out what really works for us here. I just wanted to drop this in today as I imagine many mothers are feeling this way right now. In today's practice, I want to combine what we've been talking about in all three episodes. First, I'd like you to practice writing yourself permission slips. This is one of my favorite tools from, you guessed it, Brene Brown, that allows you to say to yourself, I give myself permission to feel blank. I give myself permission to do blank. I give myself permission to be blank. As I've shared with my clients, there are days where the phone app on my notes are full of permission slips. There are days when the bathroom mirrors are full of permission slips. So it's important to give yourself permission to feel. And remember, use that emotion wheel to name what you're actually feeling. The second part of the practice is to consider any relationships, whether you have children, or any, anyone else that matters or is important to you that you'd like to try Dr. Becky's repair strategy with? What could it look like to circle back and take responsibility to aid in connection? Last, I'd like for you to think about transitions. So as I mentioned earlier, I didn't transition. I was doing something in the kitchen yelling at Micah to do something else when he didn't listen. I didn't stop. I didn't pause. I kind of came at him like a lion and it was too much. So this goes along with the card I pulled for us today. So first I'll read that for you and then I'll explain my thought process. This is from the Sacred Self-Care Oracle Guidebook by Jill Pyle. And the card I pull says, flow like water. Water naturally carries intentions within it. As one of the five classical elements, it is an incredibly valuable resource for our physical and energetic bodies. It holds the power to purify us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So one of the practices that was shared with me by my therapist when I told her how I struggled with transitions was to take a moment and go into the bathroom and wash my hands. And we had a laugh because it sounded like a COVID practice and actually triggered me for a moment. But she said, use one of your favorite hand soaps, something that smells good that you enjoy the smell of. As you wash your hands, give yourselves 
20 to 30 seconds and imagine whatever you're doing, whatever you were doing, whatever you need to let go of, imagine it washing down the drain. So in these moments when you feel anger rising, maybe you need to wash your anger down the drain. You might take a deep breath as you do this, but let the water wash it away. I'm going to add links to all of these in the show notes because there's a lot of resources in this episode. The last thing I want to share with you today is something really exciting. I'm making ornaments out of clay to raise funds for the production of this podcast and the future community I'm creating on Mighty Networks. This is important to me because I used clay to make ornaments to fundraise my way to Africa almost 13 years ago now. It's also something on that very first venture that my mom helped me a lot with, so it reminds me of her. You can check them out on my website and kindredandbrave.com. One dollar from each ornament will be donated to Together Rising, an organization that was started by Glennon Doyle, aiming to transform collective heartbreak into effective action. The episode that you're hearing now will air on Tuesday, December 5th. If you share it on your Facebook and tag me at Kindred Coaching or on your Instagram and tag me also at Kindred Coaching and leave a review, you could win three ornaments of your choice. All of your tags and reviews must be left by December 8th. Remember, reviewing and rating these podcasts really matter. They mean a lot to me. They're exciting to read, but they're also really important to help others get to hear it. The winner will be announced on Monday, December 11th. I hope that your holiday season is filled with glimmers. I hope that you remember to give yourself grace. And I hope that you practice permission slips. I can't wait to talk to you again.